Frank, math is hard, and so are recording frequencies. Oh, I really enjoyed those, though. I think we were talking about frequencies and interference on one of the earlier podcasts, and I was really having fun during that part. What are we talking about frequencies this time, James? Well, I love when podcasts go awry. That's my probably my favorite part of it, because we've had many um, drift issues in the past on the podcast, so where audio would drift and things would overlap or they'd get scrunched together. We haven't had that in like hundreds of episodes, so that's good. But sometimes we have microphone issues, sometimes they're static, um, sometimes there's popping. I was just listening to the talk show where uh, Gruber said that he had gotten the new MacBook Pro and he recorded, but there was like a mumbly sound in the background, but then he, he can't reproduce it at all or whatever. And then literally last week on the 10th, so January 10th, the News Ammer and podcast came out that I recorded with Matt Sokup and... I sounded like this, and this is how I was talking at 48 hertz. And um, uh, um, and then someone commented. They said, so oh, that you wasn't, <laughs> so that wasn't your natural voice. You weren't sick. You were just, you're going to blame the hardware. You're going to re- blame the recording equipment. It wasn't just a down day. I don't know what happened necessarily, um, to be honest with you. Uh, so... That is fascinating. You did find a fix, though. I sent the I sent the clip to you, and you said, "Oh, I know what happened." You, you said the frequency yeah. is off, and uh, I, I don't know how does sound work, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this is funny because it happens when we record sometimes when the voice over IP is acting up, and it's just a matter of uh, remember we were talking about pipelines and queuing systems, receiving data and outputting data. It's mm-hmm. one of those systems. And sometimes you're not fed data at the speed you need it fed. And so you do corrections to make up for that. One of the worst but easiest corrections you can do is just stretch audio out to make it take up the missing time and all of that. And I think that's what happens a lot in our voice over IP calls. But in your case, I have no idea <laughs> what caused it. Or then, yeah, I totally recognize the sound. And fortunately knew that uh, Audacity, the amazingly free audio program that the entire world relies upon, has a very simple menu you can click to fix it. Very true. It's very true. Um, yes. And one other correction I want to make real quick, Frank, is two, two corrections. Um, one correction is last week we talked about magical drones that are flying as fireworks. And those apparently were not live. They were a pre-recorded one and some speed up things. There were drones, but um, our listeners corrected us that um, that those were, in fact, well, pre-recorded-ish. But still, oh, no, thing, no, right? it, they said it. I mean, they were real drones recorded in the air. They just didn't happen at the exact moment that the stupid calendar changed over to a stupid new random arbitrary date. So whatever. The, the spectacle remains. It doesn't matter when the spectacle happened. You know, fireworks shows in America are never on time for the holiday. It's always like a day before or a day after. So whatever. <laughs> That's very, very true. Yeah, I mean... I, I will say that I didn't do my due diligence necessarily on it. I mean, I just read the article oh. and it looked it looked legit to me. So I, I don't know that that's sort of my my breakdown. But I guess I didn't read enough of the article. So I do apologize to anybody that was like, oh, um, there. And I also do want to do one other thing, which is oh, I'm trying to find it now. Ooh, I can't find it. Is this the feedback section? Are we cleaning out our backlogs here? 
Yes. Oh my goodness, where's it at? Uh, Was it negative feedback? I don't deal well with negative feedback, James. No, no negative feedback. Oh, I can't find it now. I'll find it by the end of the episode and and go from there. I I wanted to give an update about um, last week's episode where we talked about a bunch of stuff. And specifically, my manager, Joseph, he had recommended a podcast to me where the individual talked to talked about oh here it is problem solvers so uh problem solvers is a podcast and joseph was like i heard i heard the you did a podcast on making a podcast he's like i also recommended you a podcast about people making podcasts he's like (laughs) i didn't get any love i was like okay fine i'll correct that so joseph thank you so much for giving us the um, spark of inspiration for last week's podcast and actually definitely totally listen to this um it's a really great podcast called problem solvers it's usually an interview show where the host uh, interviews people about problems that they're solving, hence the name Problem Solvers. I think it's from the Entrepreneur mm-hmm. Entrepreneur website. And episode I feel one, like we ha- recommended it once. Hasn't it Did come we? up before? Or is this just like a deja vu moment for me? I can't quite decide, but either Could way, be. keep going on because it's sounding really good. Yeah. So this one is a special episode 100. It's, it's how to make a podcast. And he goes in a little bit different because his show is an interview show, which is very different than our show, but it is insightful. So if you liked last week's episode, I will put a link to Problem Solvers, episode 100, into the show notes for your enjoyment. There you go. There's my Ooh, corrections, Look Frank. at that. Look at that. I still feel like it's a little bit of um, a sin of podcasts to talk about podcasts, but I know before I started making a podcast... I did really enjoy hearing people talk about, you know what? I take it back. I actually do enjoy hearing the podcasters talk about how they make their podcasts because you're always just a little bit curious, even if it is a little mundane. So I guess I somewhat think of it as a bad thing, but I'm still happy. We do it from time to time. We break down and we talk about the podcast on the podcast. But that is not what we're doing this week. We are back to great developer content because I had the honor and the privilege to go over to Studio Frank. And at <laughs> Studio Frank, it is a smorgasbord of all sorts of goodies and Bitcoin mining and craziness <laughs> that's going on and machine learning towers of joy. And then I got to see some brand new hotness that you're working on. And it's a very different departure from what I've ever seen you work on in the past because this is the most visually pleasing three-dimensional application ever. Now, we're not going to talk about the specifics of the app because I don't think you're ready yet and I don't want to ruin anything, but it intrigued me because um, it's a full, beautiful Xamarin application and it's using something. And I don't know, and I was I was intrigued <laughs> because there's so many, so many people come and they say, oh, I want to build uh, an app and I need some 3D elements or I need some 3D models in it. And Everyone's like, I need it to work across all these things. And what's the magical, crazy framework to do that? And I was enlightened how Frank Krueger, the Frank Krueger, built this 3D app of awesome and what tech was behind it. And and maybe you wanted to talk about that today. Yeah, I absolutely do want to talk about it. Um, Yeah, I'm totally not ready to talk about the app that I'm making, but I've had a really good time building what should I call it? The user interface of the mm. app and using a 3D engine, like you said. And thank you so much for calling it visually pleasing. Uh, it's always nerve wracking showing something to someone <laughs> like I'm listening to every word, every little reaction you make. In fact, you suggested uh, two fixes immediately and I put them in immediately. So nice. I really appreciate you uh, 
being a beta tester. But yeah, let's talk 3D engines, James. Now, I know you are an ex-game developer. Have you been keeping up on um, 3D engines? No. Uh, but, uh, you know, we built our own 3D engine when I worked at Crunch Time and our own engine. And this was pre-XNA for game development. And there was there was the and Unity still was getting started at the time. So at this point in time, there was the Unreal Engine and things like that. But I think it was really expensive. So we're like, we'll build our own. And <laughs> and uh, we did that. And it was it was all C++ and craziness. But I imagine that for most individuals, when they think of 3D engines that are cross-platform, they think of Unity. And because that's sort of everything now, kind of, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, <laughs> especially in our bubble. Well, the the deal is um, I, I love 3D programming and I love going from the ground up, you know, writing all that triangle shader code and all that. But the truth is, you don't want to waste time doing that. That is all time consuming and terrible. And so you pick out 3D engines, which are just a higher level of abstraction over, say, the API that the system provides. Were you an OpenGL shop or a DirectX shop? DirectX. Uh-huh. It was for the yeah. Xbox 360. So I believe we're all DirectXy on that point, from my understanding. Yeah. I was an OpenGL person. I learned DirectX at some point. Um, and I love writing those kinds of apps. Actually, my very first iOS app is, in fact, an OpenGL app. It wasn't a 3D app, though. It was just the fastest way to render on the iPhone. And so I wrote the app using OpenGL. So in a lot of ways, this is going back to my roots, uh, going back to using a 3D renderer as the UI. And I'm really excited to do it again. But this time, James, I decided to use something called scene kit (laughs) Mm. Uh, i know we've talked about it before and actually you guessed it because you your first question was what is this and then two seconds later you said is this scene kit and i'm like yeah james scene kit baby (laughs) yeah it's a super duper powerful 3d graphics framework from our good friends at apple i don't know if you've heard of the small little startup in um cupertino yeah Yep. Cupertino? Little, little, Cupertino. Yeah, one, one Apple loop plane, something like that. Um, and I think so Apple, yeah. I mean, this one is the one that you see of the little toy car that's driving around running into things. That That is scene kit, correct? Uh, you know, I don't think of that because the file new project in Xamarin, and I think on Xcode also, is a little spaceship. Mm. So I always think of this little spaceship as the kind of hello world into scene kit. But it actually came out, and God, when I when I saw this in the documentation, I felt really old really fast. It came out, James, in iOS 8. Oh, wow. Eight. It's old. It's been, it's been around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just gotten more and more powerful since the beginning. So uh, we'll take a step back, and let me describe a little bit of my initial reaction to it and why I liked it. Number one was I was at WWDC, and Miguel... Ding, and I were <laughs> sitting in a little uh, uh, what do they call them? Talks, things, lectures, Session. videos, Session. session. Yeah. And it was on SceneKit, and I had a great time. It was a very impressive API. In fact, they did the whole presentation 
built in a scene kit. It looked like a 2D presentation, mm. but they had like weird 3D integrations with it. And then they like really pulled back the curtain and showed how the whole thing is 3D. And they started flying the camera around in the presentation. And it was hilarious. And it just showed how much effort and time they put into it. Um, I can go into a list of all the things I love about it, but I'll take a breath and let you say something. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I believe I remember you either telling me about it or, or something else. Cause I remember before that, or it might've been at the same time there was Sprite kit. Um, yes. and that's it for 2d games. It's the equivalent. That was iOS seven. And I know that was a lot of excitement around it because before that you had to use Coco 2d, which a lot of people still use today, I think for 2d gaming and Sprite kit came out to be sort of this super high performant, um, 2d, I mean, they, they call it a 2D game engine, but it's really just for any 2D content. You can do crazy smooth animations. And I think it has, you know, a physics engine in it. So it's has more to it than just what UI kit would have. Because when you think of 2D, you're like, oh, I could just use UI kit and that's 2D. But this has the whole sort of rendering loop to it. And then scene kit brought in the, the 3D loop. I would assume mm -hmm. pretty much. Yeah, I can even um, we can have a little bit of fun and compare APIs at the Apple level. So iOS was kind of special because it came with a high performance rendering library called Core Animation. Hmm. And UIKit is actually a library on top of Core Animation. That's why UIKit is so flexible. It's so easy to animate things because it was built on top of a high performance renderer. Well. Apple decided, let's write a new renderer <laughs> called Metal. And that is now our low-level graphics API for doing super high-performance um, graphics stuff, but also, as we've talked about in the past, um, neural networks and all that stuff. It's just a way to access GPUs, basically, Metal. And on top of that, they built a 2D library and a 3D library. Uh, number one, SpriteKit, and number two, SceneKit. So that's it. That's our nice little history breakdown. Hmm. There's uh, also fascinating is when you go to the Apple documentation, they have all these things broken down because there is uh, core graphics, core image, core animation. So those kind of three kind of go together. There's metal, metal performance shader, metal kit. And then we also have quartz as well. That's and, yeah, that's the old, old tech. That's pre-core animation. Yeah. yeah. And GL kit. And there's like three versions of open GL. Or oh, there's open CL, yeah. open GL, and open GL ES. Right. So there's a lot of ways. It's fascinating. There's so many ways to do graphics. Why did you settle on scene kit for this application, I guess? Well, quite frankly, because it does all the heavy lifting for you. It's a beautiful API. I'm just sometimes attracted to wonderful APIs. Uh, the big joke in graphics programming is on day one, you spend all day just trying to get the screen to not be black. <laughs> you know, how long does it take to render a triangle, basically? And in SceneKit, you add an object, and thank God they got the defaults right. You can actually see an object when you just add it and don't change, you know, any defaults or anything like that. And so just number one, you had me at it's not a black screen. <laughs> and then it ended up just being an efficient API. The more and more I read the documentation, the more I appreciated its design. 
They seem to have learned a lot from how core animation works. And so there's a lot of animatable properties on things. So you can set the size of an object and animate it to a different size, set the color, animate it to a different color. Um, I can just keep going on with a list like this. The, the, the material system, James, the material system is wonderful. So anyone who's done graphics programming knows you start out with your primary colors, red, green, and blue. Eventually you add texture maps and then things get nasty after that. You start putting in hack after hack of trying to make things look good. But scene kit has what has basically become an industry standard now in rendering technology, it's called um, usually PBR, uh, physically based rendering. I think it's from Disney or Pixar. One of them wrote a paper on how to do it. And basically every graphics engine in the world just copy and pasted the code <laughs> from this Disney paper into their shaders. And it's been an industry standard for the last five years and it's to the point where even movies use this technology they just do it at a, at a grander scale with more polygons etc cetera, etc cetera. um but it's still like kind of fundamentally the same rendering technology and it had that baked in how can you not love this api i like that a lot of their apis just sort of do everything for you <laughs> so yeah <laughs> pretty nice and and you know if if you're a low level you know, type of developer and you want to get into the the OpenGL or the metal, like those are available to you, but this kind of gives you the best of both worlds, I would assume, is you get the power of that, but you get a easier programming model. Yeah, and it's not just easier. I, I fundamentally believe I wouldn't have written this app without a library like this. Not to say this API is unique, because we can go into all the other libraries out there that they totally ripped off. I mean, copy and pasted, like their API matches theirs. But um, you need a high-level API. And it's been a little bit frustrating that um, a lot of modern UI frameworks, and I kind of blame the web for this, uh, don't include good 3D components in them before, in them at all, I should say. Uh, WPF, the wonderful WPF, that thing did 3D right. It was baked into the core renderer. I used to work next door to the team that tested it. They tested the most ridiculous scenarios. They had demos that would make you scream today. Like, I didn't know WPF could do that. We were doing it 10 years ago. <laughs> and it works. It was stress tested. It had beautiful 3D integration. And then they dropped it all in UWP. And you're just like, ah, oh, come on. You know, you had such a cool API. So it's a little, I find it annoying <laughs> that uh, um, uh, we had this, downturn in 3D. But I think with VR coming up, AR coming up, um, APIs have to take 3D a little more seriously again. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and adding the, you know, three-dimensional aspects to some applications can add a lot of, I mean, new interactions that you would have. I would say that the application that you're creating is not a game, right? It's an application. Um, is something that I wouldn't have, have thought of. You know, I think when people think 3D, they always think games because there really aren't that many applications off the top of my head that I can think are using 3D as the primary input. In fact, I think that your entire Surface Everything is 3D. Even there's some menus to, you know, modify the Surface, I would say, but mm -hmm. you're adding and removing stuff. But even popover menus or in 3d things <laughs> at the same time. And I was like, just everything is 3d. 
Um, but I thought what was nice about it is that it not only, you know, represented physical space of we interact with 3D things every day, but uh, it, it had a lot of niceties to it, which is it had volume, it had um, lighting associated with it, and 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 I was sort of interacting with the real world in a way, if that makes sense, which you can't really do on a 2D flat surface because the the world is not 2D, right? Everything is 3D around us. <laughs> Thanks. I'm really enjoying all that. I'm taking all those as compliments and ignoring every <laughs> bit of content that you're actually putting it. Now, um, I, I, you did say one thing when you were using it. You said, oh, you went skeuomorphic. <laughs> mm. And I, I really laughed when you said that because I hadn't thought of it that way. No, I, I had actually considered that, but I'm not doing 3D for 3D's sake. So during this podcast, I, I could sound very misleading because I love 3D engines and I love thinking about renderers and all that stuff. Um, but the truth is, like, I'm not going to do it unless I think that there is a purpose in the app to have it. What purpose is it serving? It's not just a little graphic-y thing, though it could be, I guess, totally. Um, but in this case, and without getting into the details of the app, and we'll do that eventually, um, it's there for a reason. Um, there is a goal I'm trying to achieve with this app, and it's critical that it be 3D to achieve that goal. And so I'm a little happy that um, I was able to align a real purpose in the app with something I desperately wanted to do and no, just tell my boss that, it's all for business purposes, not because I wanted to do a 3D app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty nice. And is there anything in SceneKit in this application that you didn't think that you were going to add that just sort of came out of it? Or what are some other sort of selling yeah. points to the SceneKit that, that kind of made your app or is making your app unique, I would say? Well, I would say one thing um, that I started in the beginning with, and this is something I heard about, I think it was Mario Brothers, and they said they wrote the most simple version of the game when Mario was just a colored rectangle, you know, very programmer art, the ground was a solid color, the background's a solid color, and they just worked on the game mechanic of Mario jumping and Mario moving, and they wanted to get that right. And so when I started this app, um, I actually started out with the question to myself. It was a real, it was a, a research and development kind of thing. Can I make it so you can drag objects around on the screen feel good? Mm. <laughs> there was no other purpose to the app than that. So it was kind of touch first. Like, can I make an iPad feel good? Because my biggest complaint with 3D apps is they make movement in them feel terrible you feel afraid to move the camera you feel afraid to touch things you you feel afraid basically every moment i'm in a cat piece of software i'm on the edge of my seat my shackles are up i'm just a little bit you know scared and i wanted the opposite of that and what i found was scene kit <laughs> this this is so basic man and especially if you work in a big company you can take things like this for granted but they had really good hit detection so when I put my finger down, tell me what 3D object someone's touching. It's a harder problem than you think. Sounds so simple, huh? But it's harder than you think. And James, I kid you not, one of the things that made me fall in love with it was just how good their hit detector was and that I could use it so flexibly and to create the kind of touch interactions that I wanted to achieve. Well, yeah, I, I 
fully understand the complication of hit detection because I programmed a lot of that into our game engine. And hmm. okay, <laughs> and the, you know, there's there's banking, there's rotation, there's there's another axes on top of it. There's not only a depth, but there is um, you know rotation on top of it, and 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 it's quite complicated. And then adjusting that for touch points is even more complicated if you're you know traditionally you would like get the x y coordinates and then loop through some stack but you also have depth to it now which uh, makes it very complicated to figure out what's actually being touched yeah and it's funny how they took a lot of the simplicities of 2d ui development and applied them to the 3d world so all those coordinate transforms that were that you and i are thinking about but not talking about yet that we had to do when making all this stuff work they're terrible they're nasty i've been doing this stuff my whole life and i still make mistakes constantly i get the order backwards i get you know i I always get something backwards it's guaranteed and um but with the api they have they have a very simple object called a scene node this is basic fundamental it doesn't render anything it just exists but it has a um a hierarchy so you can add nodes to nodes and you can transform them from their parent node it's a very basic um skeletal system that we all take for granted but in nice apple fashion they just made the api good they made it thread safe they made it animatable they made those transforms that we don't want to do you can simply say node convert this matrix over to that node and then apply it to this other node Mm. they just made those annoying things easy you know it's just the pleasure of a good api yeah that makes uh life easy i would say (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) i I still make i still have a million matrix concatenations in my code million multiplications and i definitely still get the order wrong in parts (laughs) in fact i showed you importing this one object and i'm like it kind of (laughs) imports but a few of those matrices are wrong and i haven't been able to figure out which ones are wrong so it's not always perfect but you know if it takes care of the 90 percent case that makes me happy just don't make me think 90 percent of the time i'm semi-willing to think 10 percent of the time got it but you know um i did something kind of terrible so it's a it's an ipad app primarily but i decided to make um a mac version of it too and so all that wonderful touch code that i was so concerned about that i really wanted to nail i then had to make it work on a trackpad Mm. then on a keyboard and then using a mouse and oh my god james i just i did not know what i was in for there now a mouse that should just work because that is a a, a digital mouse. That's a digital finger, <laughs> right? That should just no. work. No, no, no. Because oh. a mouse has scroll wheels. Scroll wheels should work, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, your mouse movement and then a single left or right click that should work out of the box. No, 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 no. Oh. Not so simple. Because let's go back to touch code. Uh, if you have a tiny little object on the screen and you want to actually be able to touch it and drag it, then uh, you need to create like a hitbox for it, a bigger thing around it that's not visible, but that you can still interact with. So if you want to switch to a mouse, then you have to use smaller hitboxes. Otherwise, people get frustrated because with a mouse, you can do precise clicks. Yeah. And if you're not tapping the exact right thing, so, you know, already there's one fundamental difference. And then with a mouse... Um, you also have expectations in 3D software. Uh, 
Mm. Now, this is a wonderful place where every piece of 3D software is inconsistent from every other. I downloaded like every piece of Mac 3D software I could get for free and sell and tried to see what they did for, um, you know, camera movement and mouse movement. And they were all different. Of course, of course, they were all different. So I tried to settle on some best standards, but no, it's a mouse is actually, I find to be very different from the touchpad. Uh, in this world yeah i would i would think that the keyboard would be quite difficult because if you have a bunch of objects you you want to maybe tab through them and 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 also move around items and then you have to you have to give visual indicators too i guess you're doing even more drawing on top of it than maybe you didn't have to do before because if you're touching it then you're moving it but if you're not touching it then there needs to be some other visual indicator on the screen so how did you yeah. Solve that. Oh, well, the truth is I don't have great tabbing around. Thank you. Mm. I'll add that to the bug list. <laughs> Thank you for testing my software again. <laughs> but um, what I have is support for a lot of like the alternate keys, especially when interacting with the mouse and the trackpad. So if you hold alt, different things happen. Hold command, different things happen. Now, here's the trick. On the iPad, we also have keyboards, um, but the only keys you can get are um, like uh, command keys, command S, command T, command V. You can override all those and bring up a nice menu. It's great. Uh, so I have that kind of support. So that's kind of nice. You get to share a little bit of code between iOS and Mac, but of course they implement it in completely different ways. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So was there any differences in scene kit between Mac and, and iOS and iPad OS, or is it pretty much spot on the same? Oh, great question, James. Wow. I didn't want to go here, but you just opened up a million thoughts in my head. <laughs> so one nice thing is <clears throat> I would say fundamentally they are identical. They're pretty, no, they're, they're very similar. <laughs> they're very, very close to each other and it works out pretty well, but there are some fundamental annoying differences. Um, how do you put a texture map on an object on iOS? You assign it a UI image. How do you do that on uh, Mac, you assign it an NS image. Mm. Yay. <laughs> now all my code has to deal with that, you know, tiny little difference. It's a tiny little difference, but like it bubbles up, you know, it affects code in funny and random ways, especially because in Mac, the zero zero coordinate is at the bottom left oh. of a view. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, there's a flag you can set called like is view flipped. And that kind of changes things. But here's the joke. It changes about 50% of things. <laughs> and so then you got to figure out which things it doesn't correct for and recorrect for all that kind of stuff. It's actually kind of nasty. But, um, you know, with Catalyst coming out, these kind of differences won't matter so much anymore. I think if I had started the app this year, I would have done it in Catalyst probably. But it's older than that. So I deal with these kinds of silly problems. Did you end up using conditional compilation using directives or something like that? Or is it just literally two different libraries of duplicated code? <laughs> I Here's what I didn't want to do. Um, I decided to use SceneKit after a lot of debates. And the greatest debate was, or the biggest problem I had was that it's not cross-platform. And that meant... I had better have a darn good reason for using it because I'm leaving behind a bunch of platforms. And what I decided was I wanted to make sure that I could use 
all the basically all the I want to say newest APIs, but that's not actually what I mean. I want to be able to use all the platform APIs without hesitation, mm-hmm. without having to worry whether they're wrapped, whether this or that. If it exists on the platform, I just want to be able to use it and not always go through a third party, no arbitrator, you know, not wonder if it's supported here or there. It's in the platform. It's supported. It's going to work. And so when I did this, um, the Mac version of the app is actually a funny version of AppKit that I wrote, <laughs> or a funny version of UIKit that I wrote that runs on top of AppKit. So I took all the bits of UIKit that I use for the iOS app and wrote it for AppKit. That sounds terrible. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you created your own little project catalyst there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So well. <laughs> Well, let's get into it then, actually, because you brought it up. I wasn't going to ask you about this until later in the pod. But um, so what about other platforms, Frank? What about, you know, things that aren't from Apple? And what are you going to do about that? Or you just don't care anymore over it? <laughs> uh, did I let the cat out of the bag on that one? Um, but it's, you know, I want to I want to I want okay, serious talk, serious yeah. talk. Uh, traditionally, I make most of my money on Apple platforms. Period. Um, as much as I wish I made more money on all the others, it's just the truth of the matter. And so me giving up a few platforms isn't the end of the world for me from a financial standpoint. I find it frustrating from an engineering standpoint that it's 2020 and I'm still having trouble executing on multiple platforms. I feel like that's a very basic thing. Um, but for reasons we can get into, um, I had my reasons why um, I wanted to be able to use APIs also, but it's 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 a lot of feels, a lot of feels, man. Let's keep digging in. Ask another question. <laughs> well, I, I think in you know, when I approach any application that I do, I always have to think to myself and say, you know, it's okay if I'm not. I don't have to be day one on every single platform. Uh, I would like to be, but realistically, if I'm building an app and I think that it'll be, it's a best for desktop application, maybe I start building a Mac and a Windows application, or I think it's best for iOS. I think that this is like an iOS audience and maybe I'll just do iOS or maybe just Android, you know, or really focus on one of them first, you know, as an independent developer and a solo developer, it's, we've talked about it many times. It's hard to one develop for all the platforms, test for all the platforms, regardless of any framework or no framework that you use, right? You're either developing it multiple times, testing it multiple times, going through app reviews multiple times, you know, um, and, and that, that stuff's complicated. And I think in this area, it sounds as if you've sort of said, Hey, you know, for, V one through X, this is, this is what it's on. And if I get the user demand and feel that there's going to be, you know, there's a risk versus reward, a payoff for doing all the work, then, you know, the door is open, right? You can bring the C sharp over and then redo the UI, but um, I'm assuming quite a lot of it just would still be reused. I guess it would be the 3d layer, the most and interaction. Yeah. 
you nailed it. You really nailed it. Wow, that was everything I wanted to say. So I'm just going to repeat a few things you just said. <laughs> okay, hit me. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, so let's talk about the energy cost, the maintenance cost. Number one, it's a development time cost to be cross-platform. Even if you have 100% code share between all the platforms, you still got to run that thing on a device from time to time. Make sure the UI fits that device. You know, there's always platformy things that you have to test and take care of. Um, this app has been very difficult for me to write because I kept over-engineering in it. So that's that's on me. That's my fault. But, you know, it wasn't just over-feature engineering. I would insist that it be cross-platform. And I would put a lot of effort into making sure it was cross-platform. I'd insist on... Um, features that would work on iOS, but wouldn't, or sorry, other way around, that would work on a desktop, but wouldn't work on iOS, you know. And so a lot of me getting this app written required me to simplify it and keep simplifying it and keep simplifying it until it was something that I could finish because I had started this app so many times and I just couldn't finish it. So it was, I was just kind of merciless when I decided, um, um, stop worrying about cross-platform just i know ios i know ui kit i can write an app in that with my <laughs> blindfolded basically so yeah that's definitely there and then you hit on it let's say this app is an amazing success and everyone's just begging me come please port it over to windows or android or whatever whichever i'd probably do windows first i think it'd make a better desktop app mm -hmm. um I did a little test run at this. I re-implemented UIKit and AppKit. Like, which parts of UIKit am I actually using? Now I know that subset. Uh, the entire time I was using SceneKit, I was basically learning how it works. And I've written 3D engines before. SceneKit's just an API. I can rewrite the SceneKit API on top of OpenGL. So if this thing is a wonderful success, there is no technological reason why I can't port that very thin UI layer and that very thick, admittedly, <laughs> rendering <laughs> layer. But, you know, I technically have the knowledge and skill to do it um, over to a different system. The fact that I start out in .NET enables me to do that because, yeah, the rest of the app just goes over. I just have to port those two, two chunks for sure. <laughs> but that's all it is. That's just effort. It's not hard. It's just effort. Yeah. Time and effort. That's all it is. Yeah. 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 So it, it was nice to simplify my workload so I could actually get this done, the app done. The app was already ambitious. So <laughs> narrow down the engineering, <laughs> uh, what, what do you call that? Spectrum domain, narrow it down so I could actually finish the puppy. Nice. Well, you know, I don't know actually how far in the development cycle you are. And if you can, you know, actually give insight into this, but picking scene kit and picking, you know, the platforms that you did, you know, you still have a lot of platform support, right? You're supporting iPhones, probably if, if I know Frank Krueger, probably like all the way back to the iPhone 3G, and then you're oh, supporting, yeah. you know, iPad OS, and you're probably supporting uh, a Mac OS, right? Different versions of it. Are there lessons learned from your experience building a full app with SceneKit? And, and, and additionally, oh. <laughs> what I, what I mean is also, across all of these platforms because i can't imagine that magically everything that you did just worked on all three platforms with no issues at all even though scene kit's amazing right 
No, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a leading question, sir, because you know the answer to all of this. <laughs> I know. Uh, when I first uh, sent the app out, uh, someone used it on their device, and they said, Frank, you can't possibly ship this. It runs terribly on my ancient iPad. Oh, and no. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have installed it on an ancient iPad. <laughs> but it made me feel terrible. I'm like, you know, it ran great on my iPad Pro was my response to him. <laughs> So I had to sit down in instruments, profile it, profile it. I still profile it, man. I learned so many with every app. I learned so many performance lessons. But in the case of SceneKit, it just has some big whopping Boolean values that you can toggle on and off that will <laughs> drag that machine down to the ground or <laughs> let it run at 60 frames per second, you know, just a few Booleans away from total annihilation. So um, what are a few fun ones? Um, James, I've totally fallen in love with Field of View. I think every 3D renderer needs Field of View. Did your game have Field of View? Uh, it did not. No, it did not. It, it was this oh. was in. 2000. I'm saying the wrong thing. I mean to be saying focal depth, but I think you understood what I was saying. Yeah, I w- well, there. Yeah, I was thinking that blurriness, but basically yes. blurriness. Yes, yeah. blurriness. Apps need blurriness. Um, it's a great way to make things feel large or feel small. It's it's a op- it's a little optical trick because like our eyes can only focus on one thing. So if you want to make something small, make it in focus, make everything else blurry. All of a sudden, it feels small, and I just fell in love with that effect. And it runs wonderfully on a Mac. No problem. I tested on old Macs. I tested on virtual machines. No problem. No problem. You put that thing on an iPad Pro and it crawls to 40 frames per second. Can't have it, James. 40 frames per second. I demand that my app runs at 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second. None of this 40 stuff. So it was sad. Um, Basically, I've had to go through tons of options within the app and tested on a variety of devices and the criteria i decided to go with and i'm still debating this but i basically set the graphics quality so that on every device it'll run at 60 frames per or you know as fast as the device wants to render it and then but i still give you a dialogue box where you can go and turn on those effects if you want to watch your frames per second drop mm. I but like it, it to hurts. see my frames per second drop as much, as fast as humanly possible. It hurts though because the effects really, it's it's amazing how good 3D renders have gotten. You know, I basically took ten years off from doing anything seriously 3D, and they've just gotten so good. Um, effects that you used to need a ray tracer for are just kind of on by default now. They're not great. You know, reflections aren't dynamic. Shadows are still garbage. But, you know, they're trying. And they, they're, and I love that it's, it's a simple API away. Anyone can go in, create a scene view, throw a node on it, throw a sphere onto that node, add a light, and turn on automatic camera control, turn on automatic lighting, throw that thing in AR, and you have a 3D app. It's like four lines of code. It's so cool. Done. Uh, do you think you're going to infuse all of your 2D apps with random 3D things all the time? Like, is is Calca going to get 3D graphs? Oh, okay. I was uh, uh, my initial response was no. That's silly, James. You got to use 3D where it's needed, and there really is um, anti the anti aliasing that we use on 2D graphics and text isn't the same as the anti aliasing we use on 3D graphics. So there's always this like 
slightly different look to a 3D rendered stuff to, than to um, a proper 2D rendering. So I'm still not comfortable with that icky ground. So I still feel like you should be in one world or the other world and not mix them too much. Mm-hmm. But that said, 3D graphs, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Anything else you want to talk about on the on the scene? Kit. uh nope um just a couple quick other favorite features real quick because i love typography james and you can actually put text into the 3d world trivially there's just a dot text property property you can even animate it and you can put emojis in it it actually does correct real rendering you've done 3d you know that that's the worst thing isn't that mm-hmm. wonderful Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's awesome it's the best i knew you'd appreciate that i just wanted to tell you because they do text right it's a small miracle in 3d in 2d in 2d by the way it's also quite complicated <laughs> yeah for real for real yeah cool well thank you for letting me nerd out about 3d i i had so much fun writing that part of the app the rest of the app was pain and suffering but that part was fun <laughs> Well, I'm glad that I can learn more about some of the cool things that, you know, I forget are available to me because, you know, Scene Kit did come out a long time ago. And I remember watching a lot of those videos and then I just sort of forget that I can do this stuff like I could do it. So thank you, Frank. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this week's podcast. We did it. <laughs> cool. It's almost like we're getting better at it. We never know where to end, but we found a spot here, James. Here is where we're going to end it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And, of course, if you're making some 3D awesomeness, let us know. Write in. Go to MergeConflict.fm or tweet at us at MergeConflict.fm. Not at MergeConflict. That's not us. At MergeConflict.fm. And uh, we apologize for, uh, I think it's Dan, who owns that um that owns that account but we appreciate it sorry dan uh well have an amazing weekend frank and hope everyone has a great week we're recording on friday spoiler alert so it's gonna be weekend time and and thanks everyone for listening and uh yeah that's about it so until next week i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace